This week on Unforgotten. Last week marked 26 years since 28-year-old Waylon Hardwick was shot to death in the Dolomite community just outside of Birmingham. April 24th of 2014 was just another day in Birmingham for 23-year-old Kira Stuyland's footage shows Kira getting into a Burgundy 2012 Chrysler 200. Kira's brother and son waited and waited, and she never did come On May 22nd, 2019, 31-year-old Ramondas Robinson vanished. His car was later found in Bessemer. There was no sign of Ramondas. And that would be 33-year-old Joseph Entrican. Joseph was last seen near the St. Vincent's Hospital on March 18, 2021. Somewhat bizarre case. The disappearance of 15-year-old Jason Sims Jr. In fact, the only evidence of Jason's life at all was a birth certificate and a photo. Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And And this this is Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. And any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. And now for episode 23. Hey guys, and welcome back. Hey Stormy. Hey Sellers. What do you call a sleepwalking nun? Oh boy. I'm missing these little, um, what do you call <laughs> We haven't done, a little while. done these in a while. What do you call it? A Roman Catholic. Oh, my heavens. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it hilarious? (laughs) That is pretty funny. So this week, we're sticking in Jefferson County. And um, August 5th actually is marking 26 years since the first case that we're going to discuss happened. That's a long time. That's I, these it cases is. that we're getting lately. They, they happened so long ago. And I think sometimes we have cases that we discussed that have occurred more recently. And those sometimes I think have a tendency to maybe get more attention because they are more recent because there is the internet and information mm-hmm. is a little bit more readily available. But when you yeah. go back and you look at these and you actually are having to dig into the newspaper archives or wherever, um, to like go back to where the printed articles were, that stuff's not as accessible or as easily found. And it's not something that people are really aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that these kind of were the purpose behind starting Alabama Cold Case. And hopefully, you know, it does help bring attention. The whole purpose behind doing all of this is to bring these much older cases back into the spotlight and get somebody to come forward. Because a lot of these, especially some of the ones that we're talking today, and we talked about it last week, they seem solvable. There should be people that have information, which we say that all the time. There Mm. should be somebody that has information. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely 100% true. I I look at some of these and I'm thinking, really, I bet the only thing that's stopping these people is a fear of something or not wanting to get involved. And maybe back, back when these happened, okay, mm-hmm. maybe, because there wasn't an easy way maybe to be as anonymous. But yeah. you can submit tips to Crime Stoppers and it 
is completely anonymous. Like they don't track it. They don't trace it. I talked to somebody that worked on building that like P3 tips thing or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's not something that they store in the background. They don't have your information if you don't give it to them. So if what's holding people back is seriously the fact that they don't want their identification out there, they don't want their name linked, they don't want it coming back on them, send it to Crime Stoppers because they do not track it. Yes. I repeat that. They do not track it. You, They do not know who you are. Nope. And it really removes any excuse you have to not send it in. I kind of wonder... If, as time goes on, because information is a little more at your fingertips now, actually more and more so as time goes on um, with all the developments in technology. But, you know, I kind of wonder if once enough time passes with these cases and they start cycling through the older cases, you know, there's probably some that won't go away, unfortunately, Mm-hmm. But, you know, I kind of wonder if over time we're going to have a lot less cold cases because we have more accessibility to information and means to simply solve them. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. because people can send things in like anonymous tips and things like that. Yep. Well, and just the technology and yeah, and yeah. the information online. And I mean, everything is just so different than back then. Yeah. You know, everything was even if they, you had all the information, it was all manual. It took time. So things get misplaced. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now a lot of things are stored electronically in general. You have cloud databases for case management systems and things like that. So a lot of, you know, the original paperwork per se is now done electronically. So everything exactly. is stored on computer you know, databases, servers, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and usually backed up on another server somewhere else. Too. Right. So it's it's not thing it's not something that just gets misplaced somewhere. Yep. I guess it yep. could mis- mm-hmm. get misplaced in a wrong electronic file or something. But true. Uh, there's always there's always gonna be things, but and there's you know, glitches. No and floods and fires and that are gonna right. eliminate it completely if they have a backup. So that's the beauty of the cloud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last week marked 26 years since 28-year-old Waylon Hardwick, or Juice as he was more commonly known, was shot to death in the Dolomite community just outside of Birmingham. Shortly after the incident, a man did turn himself in to Birmingham PD in connection with Waylon's death, but Waylon's family says nothing ever came of that charge, and they're not really sure why. To be honest, I'm not really sure why either. That is really odd. Huh. I did email the Jefferson County Circuit Clerk's Office for the Bessemer Division to see if they could send us a copy of the motion to dismiss that was filed. Um, But I haven't heard back, and I don't know if our email maybe sometimes gets filtered into spam. Oh, yeah, I wonder. But I would really like to see it. We'll talk about that. There's not a lot of information available about Waylon or what occurred on the evening of August 5th. So we've been speaking with his brother, Joel, to get a better understanding. Waylon was a personal trainer and a male dancer at various nightclubs in the Birmingham area. According to a section of the coroner-slash-medical examiner's report titled Particulars Surrounding Death, Waylon and Evanda Parker were sitting inside his 1986 Chevrolet C-28 at Evanda's home, located at 3610 Short Street, around 11.30 p.m. on August 5th, when a man approached the driver's side and began firing shots into the vehicle. Joel actually said that Waylon was training Evanda. Okay. And I apologize if I'm not saying her name right. I think that's how you say it. But Looks um, like it, yeah. And just as a side note, the reports that we were able to review, they don't actually list her by name, but her name was actually in some of the newspaper articles. Um, right. That there were only a couple but they did list her, so that's where that came from. Um, but my understanding from talking with Joel is that he was actually training her, and either they had been at the gym or were going mm. to the gym or something like that um, that evening. So they're sitting there at her house in the driveway when this guy comes up and just 
start shooting at the driver's side. Crazy. Evanda told the officers that Waylon slumped to the right immediately following the shots. So she leaned over from the passenger seat and pressed the gas pedal with her hand and steered the vehicle out of the driveway and roughly half a block west on Short Street before stopping just off the side of the road and then called for help. That would have been some feat with the gas and the trying to see enough to be able to tell where she was going. Maybe it's just a paraphrasing thing, but Maybe. I was thinking this is an awkward story. Yeah. Because this, she's got to lean over this console mm-hmm. and reach way down to get to this gas pedal. There's no mention of shifting the gears, you know, to reverse mm-hmm. out of the driveway, back into drive, you know, from park to reverse to drive, or was it backed into the driveway? So really all she had to do was like throw it in drive. Huh, I wonder. Hit the gas. How do you see over the when dash. you're leaning over like that? How do you see out of the window? Right. I was kind of wondering because I can't picture out picture what and a, simultaneously press the gas. Yeah, I can't picture what a Z28 looks like on the inside right at the moment. Is there a center console or is it all one seat? No, not all one seat. Okay. Yeah, like think it's like it's a Camaro, so it's a lot similar to the '90s body style Mm, okay i just i don't understand how that really all jived that well because you've got it you got to press the gas to get out of the driveway and then press it again like are you just gunning it to get a good go and hoping or are you just like blindly steering and hoping you're not hitting anything yeah technically i guess she could have been driving over the lawn for all we know you know she could have just backed in a general direction and just gone, she not knowing where she's going. Road. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. It, it said steered the vehicle out of the driveway. I don't know. I feel like that. Was, I don't know. I, I mean, again, not her official statement, so maybe that. Yeah, was some I kind of wonder if, like, I can. The only thing I can picture is she couldn't see. She pushed the gas to go backwards, and then she pulled herself into the seat and went the rest of the way. Yeah, but, you know, just to get herself out of. Immediate harm's way. I guess. And then it just it does it doesn't sound say, really odd. It does. And it doesn't say, I would assume, she got out of the car and went to like a neighboring house nearby, mm-hmm. you know, to call mm-hmm. for help. But it doesn't say she did. It doesn't say where she called from. It doesn't say she actually called for help at all. Oh, I would assume so. It just says the police and emergency personnel were called. So I'm not sure who called 911 actually or called for help. I just assumed it was her because nobody else was mentioned in this section of the report. Interesting. Yeah, so that would also be something good to know. Yeah. The report further indicated that when authorities arrived, Waylon was observed in the driver's seat of his vehicle and that his upper body slumped toward the right side of the vehicle with what appeared to have been three bullet holes in the driver's door window just above the door. So I'm assuming that means where the door handle is. In the driver's door window, just above the door, so maybe the solid piece of the door. Yeah, yeah, that's and what I'm... the window that it, technically the window's part of the door. So um, that's my assumption is it's like in the door, like the solid piece of the door where the door handle is, and the holes are right above that in the window. A bullet hole was also observed in the rear window and left tail light, along with fragments of glass and pieces of the tail light in the driveway. There were no spent cases found at the scene, and no weapon was recovered at the time that the coroner slash medical examiner wrote their report. Mm-hmm. The autopsy indicated that Waylon had five gunshot wounds caused by at least three bullets. Of uh, what? <laughs> That's what it said. I had to read it a couple of times. The case summary says the autopsy showed five gunshot wounds caused by at least three bullets. The entrance wounds were all of distant type, but the wounds were in the left shoulder and left side of the mid-back. But the wounds on the left shoulder and left side of the mid-back were surrounded by abrasions characteristic of intermediate target, and the gunshot wound at the left side of the mid-back caused injury to both lungs and the aorta, and he would have died fairly quickly. Yeah. So it sounds like 
it's just because it's a little ambiguous because of the way the wounds were that they couldn't pinpoint what bullets made what. And I'm, what I'm thinking is it says five gunshot wounds, but what I'm thinking is maybe there were five wounds all together and mm-hmm. it was they were caused by three. Yeah, and it says at least three bullets. Maybe they only could pinpoint that three of three of the injuries were caused by bullets or something. I don't know. So you might be onto something there because it looks like they only recovered pieces to maybe three bullets in the autopsy. Well, that would make sense. So they're probably assuming yeah. that five that it was five total, but they only had three bullets. Okay. And maybe it was also too, you know, when we were reading that it said there were the three bullet holes were observed in the driver's door window. Right. Okay. Yeah. They did actually recover copper jackets and lead slugs from medium caliber bullets during the autopsy, but that's the only details that we have as far as what type of bullets were used, and there's no even guesstimate on what kind of gun would have been used. According to the toxicology report, there were no drugs or alcohol detected in Whalen's system at the time of his death, so it's not like they had been out partying, you know, and he had maybe gotten into a fight with somebody that night and they followed him home or anything like that. Or at least that's what we can say for him. You know, I don't know about her, but at least Waylon was completely sober when this happened. Authorities told the media very early on that they had a suspect and those same early media articles reported that bystanders stated that Evanda possibly had had a relationship with this suspect at one time. Well, that's and even more interesting. Right, because maybe... Because that would indicate that they know who it is. And we know that 23-year-old Willie McLean actually turned himself in to Birmingham Police Department uh-huh. about this. And I guess if you think about it, and I don't know whether she actually dated him previously or not, but that would be potentially a motive there. Maybe it's a jealous ex boyfriend if that's true um i was i was gonna say or maybe current boyfriend i don't you know i don't know um so on august 12th 1997 23 year old willie mclean turned himself into birmingham police department on murder charges since willie turned himself in and we have a newspaper article telling us that we ran a search on alicourt to see if we could find any court records indicating what may have happened with that charge what we found was a pretty extensive criminal record, including a 1997 capital murder charge and a 1997 attempted murder charge. I'm assuming the attempted murder charge was probably for Evanda. Um, because they're from 1997, though, there's not images scanned in. Huh. We can see the case action summary, though, and it appears he was indicted on the capital murder charge on January 7th, 1998, and he was scheduled to go to trial on October 4th, 1999. In the interim, he was released on bail, which was later revoked in July of 1999. But for some reason, in September of 1999, a motion to dismiss was filed and granted in November, and the charges were dismissed. And it doesn't say why. Well, I guess we probably don't have why. We don't have an image of the motion to dismiss. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if it had to do with a technicality or if it really had something to do with the case well, he itself. walked in and turned himself in, though, you would think. I know. I mean, I guess there could still be a technicality there, though. Did they Mirandize him? Huh. I don't, I, I don't know. And Joel says they don't know. They don't really know what happened with that. And Waylon's case is still unsolved. Yeah. Nobody's ever been held responsible for that. That's a quandary. It is. And Um, you have to wonder why. Like we were just talking about, especially the older cases, they don't always, they aren't straightforward all the time. You know, now they seem to be like, these are solvable cases. This one seems like a pretty darn solvable case. And they, you know, like they, they say, basically had it done. Yeah, so they knew they had a suspect. They said early on, was he not the suspect or was he the suspect? If he was, and then he delivered himself right there to you. 
Yeah. Um, what happened to change that? Yeah. Do we know, is the case still open, do we know? With the police department? Right, yeah. Yes. Like, is his murder still an open investigation? Yes. As far as um, Joel's understanding, yes, it is. Um, Birmingham Police Department still has it. Very interesting. Confusing. Yeah. Interesting. It is. So, still waiting to see if we can get a copy of the... Um, a copy of the motion to dismiss. I actually did submit a public records request to the Birmingham Police Department for the file, and they denied our request. Yeah. At least we didn't get ignored. Yeah, I guess we knew the answer. And I get it. You don't want some of it. I get because you don't want false accusations just floating around out there in the public. Um, because you don't want an innocent person who really had nothing to do with it being slandered or, you know, there are good reasons to not release everything, but you can redact stuff. Yeah. Yep. Wayland's family sent us the following statement to read on their behalf. Wayland Hardwick Jr. was born on October 31st, 1967. He was the oldest of four children, and he was a good role model for his younger siblings. Growing up, he loved playing football and loved to dance. He was also into bodybuilding and fitness training. Waylon had two children, a son and a daughter. After high school, he played for the Alabama Raiders and attended ITT Tech in Birmingham. Waylon had a love for his IROC Z28. Waylon was a well-known exotic dancer, and he was known by the name of Juice. He became a member of the Black Chippendales, and he traveled across the world performing. On August 4, 1997, Waylon Jr. was taken away from us by a senseless coward that gunned him down. It has been a living nightmare and no closure. His children were left behind without their dad. His parents and siblings were left behind with a lot of sleepless nights. Here we are in 2023 and still no closure because nobody has been arrested. To the man that shot him, if you knew Waylon, you would have never shot him. After 26 years, we haven't stopped seeking justice and we will never stop until the person is arrested. So... Wayland's family is hopeful that someone listening will come forward with the information needed to finally solve his case. You know, help put them on the path to healing. And we hope so, too. Well, it sounds like there were bystanders, so I really hope that some of those people are still around and will somehow hear this and come forward. Again, anonymously is an option. It is. We'll have um, the Crime Stoppers information linked in the episode details, and we will give you all of the phone numbers to call at the end of the episode. Our next case we're talking about is the case of Kiera Stubbs. Nine years ago, on April 24th of 2014, was just another day in Birmingham for 23-year-old Kiera Stubbs. Kira, a mother of two very small children, set out to run some errands that morning. She and her son rode with her brother to drop off his and Kira's younger brother and sister at school. Afterwards, he drove Kira and her son to a place in Five Points West on 3rd Avenue West to meet a man at Boost Mobile. Kira knew this man from doing his kids, uh, she did braids in their hair, and she had spoken to him at the time about needing to have her breaks done, and he was going to help. So when they were at the Boost Mobile, her brother waited with her son, and she went to meet the gentleman in a car at the curb. Surveillance footage shows Kira getting into a Burgundy 2012 Chrysler 200 around 9 a.m. that morning. Kira's brother and son waited and waited, and she never did come back. So she, they go meet this man at Boost Mobile, and he was going to take her to, like, an auto zone or something to buy the brakes. Is that what that is? Well, there are a couple of different stories. There's one that says that he was going to give her money for the brakes, and then there's one that says that she he was going to help her fix the brakes. Like, he, it sounded like he was going to do that. So... I am not 100% clear on that. And if I find something, you know, that clarifies that a bit more, I'll provide an update. Well, she would need her car, though, right? 
if he was going to do the actual. Well, I mean, maybe they were going to get the brakes and then he was going to fix those after they went and picked him up. Yeah. My assumption was that he was picking her up from, they were meeting there and he was going to take her to the car. Because her brother had dropped her off oh, there. Right. And says she and her son. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Sorry for that confusion. That's okay. <laughs> it is a little confusing. Kind of a, you know, it's one of those things, though, that you think about when you have to make arrangements because you have to have somebody pick you up or they want to give you a shuttle or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and this is more on a personal level. This isn't some mm-hmm. professional thing going on here. So probably was a an odd arrangement. And though, you know, honestly, if I were somebody in a hair shop that I, or whatever, wherever she works, that routinely did this gentleman's kid's hair, I would start to feel comfortable probably too. I don't know if I would have gotten in a car with him, but you would start thinking about it. You talk to him, you know, a lot. Yeah, it probably depends on how often do you see him? How often do mm-hmm. you talk to him? Like, yeah. do you know how open... You can get vibes off people. Yeah, you definitely you know can. whether, well, maybe some people are better at reading vibes than other people. Yeah. Um, but I feel like some people automatically give off a red flag warning, yeah. you know. But then Absolutely. But there's also those people that are very, very good at, you know, being extremely charming and convincing about, being somebody that they're not. You know, I think about, you know, it's probably a bit different, but my husband and I both have the same hair person and we've been going there for years. And I wouldn't think twice about her and I getting in a car together. And I don't think she would think twice about getting into a car even with my husband. But I can imagine maybe, you know, if she hadn't been talking to him very long. I might have had more of a red flag. I don't know how long she had been doing the kids' hair. Kira has never been seen or heard from since. That was just, she just vanished. And I'm curious, because of this, if they ever were able to question this person, if, you know, they were ever able to figure out who it was, you know, did anybody ever witness this person with her doing the kids' braids? Did the brother know who this person was at all? You know, it's Did just they kind of interesting. Like, was that ever? There, I have no information in any of the articles that I saw that say anything about those details. This no is, idea I mean, if her cell phone was ever found nope. or anything like that. Nope, oh, nothing. Yeah. yeah, it's really kind of odd, the, the lack of information. And it could be that authorities are holding that information, maybe, but... Um, but that's and I, you all know, I could I, find. I get it. It was 2014. It was a different mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But I'm about to step up on the soapbox. Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> we just saw Alabama pull out all of the stops in Hoover to search for Carly Russell. And this is, that is something that so many families watched and wished that they had. And it is really frustrating. It is really frustrating when we read cases like this. And maybe they did. Maybe they did search like they searched for Carly. But they probably didn't. Yeah. And honestly, the most recent article, which I'll share in just a moment um, that I found was actually from this year. And it actually was an article based on the fact that, you know, there was so much attention called to Carly and that they hoped that, you know, all of that attention kind of brought to light resources and that sort of thing that the law enforcement needed to start paying attention to these things and not just treat people, you know, the the cell phones and all of that information. Mm-hmm. They actually mentioned, and there's not very many statistics yet, but um, that several cases have been solved even since Carly's case. And I think simply because they are paying more attention and they are realizing that because of the kind of resources they extended for her, that they, you know, it's kind of like a bar is kind of needed set. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now you kind of have to take things more seriously because. If you don't, 
looks bad, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And my biggest concern with all of that was that it's challenging enough to file a missing person report on an adult and get it taken seriously. It is, yeah. And to have it all come out that it wasn't true to begin with was completely worrisome that it would affect how missing person reports on adults would be taken and handled in the future. Because unless you can prove that there's some harm, some like really solid reason they're missing because they have that autonomy, you know, you you don't really get those resources. And, um, you know, and I guess it's just not something people know this. I didn't know this. The flipping secret service can get involved in looking at cell phone stuff. No idea. But apparently all you got to do is really ask them (laughs) and they do it. Like it's not that hard to get them involved. Um, I had no idea, Um, but I do now. So hmm. it really is interesting because we worry that people don't take it seriously. And we also talk about, you know, the fact that sometimes social media, for all its good things, it has its warts where, Mm -hmm. you know, it can interfere to a degree. But, you know, there was a lot of people out there who knew from the get go that there was something wrong with that case. Yeah. You think you think back on this, so you have all these resources that are available now to look at this cell phone technology. And in 2014, that really wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. But I know that cell phone technology really has advanced a lot more, even in that short time frame. But starting in 2011, Google started storing location data. And I would love to know, did you call them? Did you try to get a warrant there to yeah. get that information? We're not yeah. going to be privy to that. Right. But it'd be nice to know. For sure. Yeah. And the fact is, is they don't mention anything about it in Kira's case. And I think that would be something that they definitely should have looked into. So maybe they did. Maybe they haven't shared it. And I'm not going to say that they didn't. But they certainly didn't hint at it. And usually you hear about that to some degree, Mm -hmm. you know, that. They pulled her records. They may not even tell you what it is, but they might tell you that they pulled the records and are, and you know, and are investigating, next, that, you know, that or something like that. And one of the cases that we're going to talk about coming up, like Birmingham Police Department, they, it looks like they do normally, like, at least do updates um, mm-hmm. on stuff. Like, it mm-hmm. may be a, a year or two years before they update. So, like, they'll say, you know, they were last seen here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so it's kind of, and I guess maybe they did because they said surveillance shows are getting in there, but yeah, it would just be nice to see if there was an update. Maybe they should do an update. Mm-hmm. And, and. Kira's aunt, Shante Stubbs, described her niece and how all of this was affecting them all in an AL.com article in 2018 on the fourth year of Kira's disappearance. She was a sweet, funny, loving person, she said. She loved her family. She loved her kids. That's all she wanted to do, work and spend time with her family. It's like she just disappeared off the earth. It's hard. Every day you wake up not knowing where she is, what condition she's in. A hundred things go through your mind that could be happening to her. And, you know, I think you hear those sorts of things from Every family. I know they all think that, but it's so heartbreaking to hear it come, you know, when you like when you hear a video or mm-hmm. um, any of those sorts of things. It's just such a sad thing. To and hear. she's got her kids. Mm-hmm. I think that all, oh, that always gets me yeah, when there are kids that have questions and you know that inevitably somebody's got to answer those questions and they can't. Yeah, that's hard because you're dealing with your own questions and feelings and grief and navigating through all of that. But then you're also shouldering kids' feelings and helping them cope and sort through all of their unanswered questions. And that's just a lot that somebody could help with. Aura mm-hmm. Stubbs, Kira's grandmother, was quoted in a CBS 42 interview. How do we sleep at night by the grace of God? Because it's hard to lay there at night and not knowing for nine years 
what happened to Kier. While Birmingham Police Department has stated the man is a person of interest that she went to meet, he has not been named publicly, and primarily, I guess, because there is no evidence or witnesses to say what happened once Kira was in the car or where they went. I'm assuming that they questioned him, and I'm assuming he didn't provide any solid information, and they couldn't find any solid okay, information. but maybe that means they do have the car. Could they be. didn't say they don't have the car. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know both cars, whether... yeah. You know, they know they were able to search his car and whether they found her car. Though I was able to find a few articles, the information was mostly the same throughout. There was basically just article after article regurgitating the same information. Eight years later, Kira is still missing, and her case continues to be investigated by the police department. Kira Stubbs is an African-American female with black hair and brown eyes, standing at approximately 5 foot 3 and around 145 pounds. She was last seen wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt or coat and gray leggings, and she was getting into a Burgundy 2012 Chrysler 200, which we mentioned, which again will include the link to the surveillance footage and the description. For our next case, we're discussing another disappearance from Birmingham. On May 22, 2019, 31-year-old Ramondas Robinson vanished from Birmingham, Alabama. His car was later found in Bessemer. There was no sign of Ramondas, and the search for him continues today. Early on, it was reported that Ramondas was pretty active on social media prior to his disappearance, but that his account had not been active since he was last seen. So, we searched Facebook, which turned up several profiles that appear to belong to Ramondas, which really isn't all that unusual. I think we come across profiles that people have a lot where they have several different ones, whether it's because, you know, they got a new phone and just created a new profile because they couldn't remember their password, or yep. maybe they just were like, oh, I just don't like this stuff on this one, and I don't feel like going through and deleting everything. Let me just start fresh. Actually, the profile that I came across that looked to be his most recent and active account was actually mm-hmm. under the name Ray J. And then it had oh. in parentheses, Ramondas J. Robinson. Hmm. And I, I've seen profiles like this a lot where they have a different name and then their name is in parentheses or the name mm-hmm. on there is like not remotely close yeah. to whatever their name is. Like I said, the one that appears to be his most recent and active account was the Ray J account. Based on the Ray J account, Ramondas was very active on social media, sometimes posting multiple times a day, including on May 22nd. He actually began posting that day at 7.55 a.m. and then made additional posts at 9.10 a.m. and 10.32 a.m. and then made his last post at 3.22 p.m. If there were any posts after that, they've either been deleted or set to friends only and aren't public. But that was the last one that I could see. Now, there are additional posts after that 3.22 p.m. Facebook post, but those look like they were made by his family members in hopes of maybe catching the eye of someone who perhaps was with him that night. Hmm. Like, I think one of them, the first one after that 3.22 p.m., post looks like maybe it was made by a sister on May 24th saying somebody better tell me where my brother is. Yeah. Yeah. He also had an Instagram account. That account is set to private. So we can't see any posts on there to see if there were any posts made after the 322 time. I did find where he maybe had a Twitter at one point, but maybe it's not up any longer. His Instagram indicated he had I'm about to date myself a little bit. Kick or K-I-K? What is it? Kick messaging? I think it is. I, I think it's, is it kick up? I don't You're remember. You're asking me? I don't know. He also had a Foursquare account. I found that. I do know what that is. You can like check in and leave reviews, kind of like Yelp. Mm-hmm. Um, but that hadn't been active since 2018. So it looks like best that I could find the last social media activity was 3.22 p.m. Now, somebody else may have been friends with him on Snapchat or something like that and had something um, that popped up after that. Ramondas reportedly failed to show up for work the following day. He worked at a debt acquisition and recovery firm in Homewood. 
And not only did he no call, no show, which was apparently unlike him, he wasn't on social media and he had no contact with his family, which started raising red flags for them because they said he always checked in with somebody. So his family began calling friends, hospitals, jails, and even the coroner and reached one dead end after the other. 30 hours in, with no communication from Ramondas, they filed a missing person report with Birmingham Police Department. According to the initial reports, and this is kind of, this is where details matter, I think, because they change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The initial reports say he was last seen wearing ash-washed speckled jeans, a greenish-gray shirt, gray and white Jordan shoes, a black ball cap, and wooden frame glasses and he was driving a midnight blue 2014 Nissan Altima. It doesn't appear that there were really any additional updates until December of 2020, when Birmingham PD released additional information. According to that update, Ramondas was last seen by his father around 11.30 p.m. Later that night, he went to a club known as The Money Spot, and it was believed that he left that location around 4 a.m. on May 23rd with two unknown males. No idea where that information came from, but it was a little bit more definitive. And it also gave a more specific targeted area for people who might have seen him. Like if you were in this area. Yeah. You know. They also said that Ramondas's Nissan Altima had been found burned and abandoned at Vulcan Industries, which is in Bessemer, about 18 miles away from the money spot. Interesting. Yeah. And a search of the area turned up no signs of Ramondas. I wonder if they ever used dogs to search that or if they just did a regular, you know. I have no idea. It just said a search of the area turned up no signs. Mm. I'm not even entirely sure what the time frame was of when he was reported missing and when the car was found. So looking at a calendar... May 22nd, 2019 was a Wednesday. So it's hard to believe that his car would have been there from Wednesday. They couldn't have found it like pretty quickly after. Because if somebody had immediately dropped his car off and set it on fire, you would think people at work on Thursday would have seen that. Yeah. It likely would have still been smoldering because it says he was last seen at 4 a.m. That's not a whole lot of time between when you would expect people to be showing up for work. Yeah, yeah, you would think. So I would assume, but you know what they say about assuming, that it was found pretty quickly, but I don't know that for sure. Like I said, this update didn't come out until 2020. Yeah, Yeah, it was December of 2020, and he went missing in May of 2019. In 2021, Birmingham PD revised the information released in that previous statement to say that family members believed Mr. Robinson went missing after visiting a nightclub known as the Money Spot slash Raw House Studios, located at 604 9th Street North, Birmingham, Alabama. He was last seen wearing gray stonewashed jeans with cuts down the legs, gray shirt, a denim jacket, and red and white Jordans. So now we have a specific address, and we've got a jacket, and we've got red and white shoes versus gray and white. white. Hmm. But we also have removed the information about the fact that he left at 4 a.m. with two unknown males and said his family members believe it. So where did the information originally come from that he left that location at 4 with two unknown males? And why isn't that included in this new information? What triggered that change from, we believe he left here at four with two unknown males, to, well, his family now believes he left here. Mm -hmm. And not Birmingham police believe he left here. Because that Was this an official release or was this something that the newspaper did? Okay. No, this was the official release. Okay. I don't, I, that just kind of blew my mind because that's basically like saying this is what his family thinks, but we're not going to say we agree with that. And his clothes, like that, the clothes kind of changed, you know, like the shoes definitely changed. That's like 
different And there's no hat, right? I don't remember if the hat and the glasses were mentioned, but the jacket was new. The jacket was new for sure. Yeah. Um, The jeans to me seem different because initially it was ash-washed speckled Mm. jeans, and now it's stone-washed gray jeans with rips down the legs. So maybe... Maybe they found a picture. Like, maybe he changed clothes. Like, maybe the initial outfit was what he had on the last time his dad saw him. And then maybe they found pictures or something, you know, from Snapchat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they found the clothes that they thought he was wearing and realized that he was wearing oh, something yeah, you know, different. Maybe he, yeah, I'm assuming he, maybe he just changed clothes before he went out. Probably. Um, yeah. It doesn't appear that there have been any updates on Ramondas' case since 2021. And he continues to be listed in NamUs as an active missing person. Our understanding is there are several rumors floating around about what happened to Ramondas, why, and even who may be involved. But at this point in time, we don't have enough information to say one way or the other whether those rumors are true. And it would be irresponsible to it would speculate be. without any solid information. Yeah. What we can say is what we always say. There is someone who knows something. His car didn't just drive itself to Bessemer, and it didn't set itself on fire. At the time of his disappearance, Ramondas was described as 5'8 to 5'11 and between 190 to 210 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes, though he was bald and had a beard at the time of his disappearance. He had several tattoos, including Love, Live, Life across his chest, his name across his back, and multiple tattoos on both arms. I hope somebody is brave enough to come forward and tell us something. Our next case is another missing person, and that would be 33-year-old Joseph Entrican. Joseph was last seen near the St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, on March 18, 2021. Joseph was said to be a big-hearted country boy, the youngest of three sons. Unfortunately, his brother Jacob had passed away less than two months from Joseph's disappearance as well. You can imagine. I just can't. Yeah. Mm, I can't imagine. This has been extremely difficult for their mother and for the oldest of the three boys, Bo. Joseph also has a young daughter, Isabel, that misses her dad very much. His mother talks in a video about how he used to love dancing with her. I could uh, just imagine, you know, she was only, I think, in the fifth grade now. So she's still really young, even now, that, you know, you can picture dad dancing around in the living room, you know, with your It makes me think about all the daddy-daughter dances. Mm, Yeah. How much fun that would have been. Yeah. That breaks my heart for her. It does, yeah. Joseph had been in treatment in a facility at or near St. Vincent's for some mental health issues related to his bipolar condition. March 18th, he checked himself out of this program. Shortly after leaving, it seems he was even still on the hospital campus or in that area, and Joseph was on his cell phone with his mother, Carol Entrican, around 8.30 or 9 p.m. Apparently, he was very frantic and out of breath, running very hard to get away from someone who was chasing him and hitting him from behind. And according to her accounting, suddenly his phone dropped, and that was the last time Carol ever talked to her son. Can you imagine being on the phone when that happened? I would just be beside myself. I wouldn't even know what to do. Mm-mm. Hopefully, if she was on the cell phone, you know, I'd be, if it were me if I, and I was on a cell phone, I'd be talking to him and trying to find somebody to call 911 or something. Over the next month, Birmingham Police Department searched wooded areas with canines, checked surveillance video from the businesses in the area, checked jails and local hospitals, but none of those searches yield any answers or leads. On April 28th of 2021, Carol told local media, CBS 42, his banking account is full of money. He hasn't touched it, and that's a red flag for me. In the month of July 2022, the ACCA helped the family find some resources to put up two digital billboards. And in May of 2023, Crime Door was able to do an interview with Carol for episode 74 of their series, Crime Door TV. 
And I have to say before I play this clip that I am so saddened that Crime Dart TV is no longer doing those interviews. That was such uh, a huge no. thing for many of the cases that we have. It is really disappointing mm. that that's not going forward anymore because I think it was a great platform for families. And I think it probably also, I talked to somebody about this recently and I don't really remember who it was, that sometimes families need that support. And we make these posts to try to raise the awareness without realizing how much the actual like community support plays into helping build kind of that morale Mm -hmm. and hope. And when you open the door to letting somebody speak on an interview and giving them this platform to really say what's on their mind and on their heart, and it just kind of decompresses and lets the fans the flame a little bit to get the hope going a little bit more. But I'm thankful that they were so wonderful to us while they were running and made every opportunity that they could, you know, available for the families that we talked to to do the interviews. Yeah. I need to make sure that my son's picture is being shown there. This was a human being, my son. His name was Joseph Thomas Intrigan. And he disappeared from his family on March the 19th. And I'm pissed about it. I hope you, whoever you are, or whatever, who, if it's one or many, you know something. And I've spent many sleepless nights, still do. I hope your life is as crushed as mine has been. I hope you dream about Joey every night. I hope you see his face flash before you when you wake up. I hope you got to spend Thanksgiving with your family and Christmas. Carol did a really great job with this interview, making sure she was talking directly to the person responsible on parts of it. I love the way she always wanted to make sure that Joseph's picture was in the background by her in frame. Carol also helped form a Facebook page called Help Bring Joseph Entrican Home just a few weeks after Joseph vanished, which she and others have kept really active. This last March on the 18th marked two years since his disappearance, and Carol at the time recorded a video to post on the page remembering Joseph, recapping his case for new members and thanking everyone for their support. Also, Joseph's daughter posted a short video on May 19th the day of her fifth grade graduation. And it was Mm. so special and so heartbreaking. And she seems like such a sweet little girl. I, she just, she was very brave, I think, to record what she did. And I encourage everyone that like to give support to Joseph's mom and their family and his daughter, just the whole family to spread awareness. And hopefully someone will come forward with information. But I encourage you all to, Go check out the page yeah, and take a look at these wonderful posts that they've made on there. Joseph is a white male from Adamsville, but was last seen in Birmingham, leaving St. Vincent's Hospital area. It's uncertain what he was wearing, but at the time, he was approximately six foot tall, weighing around 245 pounds. He had blue eyes and most frequently had a mustache with a goatee-style beard. And for our last case, we're talking about a somewhat bizarre case. The disappearance of 15-year-old Jason Sims Jr. from Fairfield, located slightly southwest of Birmingham. Fairfield Police Department actually began investigating Jason Sims Sr. and Natasha Wright in 2013 related to child neglect claims. At that point, Fairfield PD was under the impression that there were only two children in their home at the time, ages 10 and 12. They had no knowledge of any other children. But when they arrived, they discovered that there was potentially Jason and another nine-year-old. But what was crazy was they couldn't find anything to really confirm that Jason had ever existed. In fact, the only evidence of Jason's life at all 
was a birth certificate and a photo. That's so very odd. They found no school records, no medical records. Although at some point, I think they learned that Jason was reported to have been autistic and nonverbal. Authorities later attempted to serve warrants on Sim Sr. and Wright at their 59th Street home in Fairfield in 2014 regarding the um, child neglect claims, but nobody was home. When 2015, somebody found Natasha Wright unconscious in the home. Mm. I'm not really sure what happened there. AL.com said it was due to a medical condition. Others didn't really say what happened. She was taken to the hospital, and apparently she remained unconscious for several days, like three days or something like that. Well, While she's unconscious, Fairfield Police Department undertakes trying to locate these children because they're not in the house. And I guess Jason Sims Sr. wasn't at the house. They find three of the four children with relatives and put them in DHR's custody. Well, when Natasha wakes up in the hospital, she asks them about Jason. And they're like, Jason? You know, like, who is she said the last time Jason? she'd seen him was yeah. at home. But she could give them no time frame for when that actually was. Huh. That's, that's crazy. That is really odd. Yeah. So he would have been 15 at the time. And police think that he was missing long before this because the only photos that they could find of him were from the age of five and younger. Wow. How insane is that? So they've got a birth certificate and photos from five and younger, but nothing between. That's the only proof that Jason ever existed. They don't know when she last saw him. The neighbors can't really confirm anything. Um, One neighbor was interviewed by one of the media outlets, and I can't remember which one, but they reported, you know, seeing Jason Sr. with a child, but that he wasn't like a very friendly neighbor or anything like that and didn't really socialize or talk to the neighbors. So nobody really knew anything about him, but nobody really could say anything about Jason. Like, had he ever even been in the house? Yeah. Huh. And I don't know what happened as far as, you know, the family. Like, I don't know that anybody in the family could ever say when the last time they saw him was. Uh, yeah, that's so odd. I'm... It is really odd. And what I don't really understand is this part where in 2016, they filed charges against Jason Sim Sr. with a felony failure to report a child missing, but not against... Natasha Wright, the mother, just Jason. And it gets even weirder because in 2019, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge of failure to report a child missing, second degree. But his attorney, prior to him pleading guilty, his attorney, Edward Reynolds, tells CBS 42 that Jason Sr. was frustrated because he wasn't even Jason's father, even though the names implied otherwise that Jason was given Jason Sr.'s name, but that Jason Sr. was not listed on Jason Jr.'s birth certificate, and that Jason Sr. had only saw, quote, this child or a child when DHR requested to see all of Wright's children. So his attorney wouldn't even acknowledge whether Jason existed at this point. Ah, wow. He even went so far as to say, Quote, we don't know if this child exists, and I say this because I'm not sure if this child exists. There's still some doubt in my mind if the child actually exists. I don't have any words. I That's like one of the oddest cases I've heard. Yes, and it was actually the authorities that filed the missing person report um, in 2015, not anybody in the family. The, the authorities did because uh, what do you do? That You've got a birth certificate that clearly says a child was born. And you know that at least up until they were five years old, there was a child. What happened after that, nobody really knows. The lead detective, after those comments from Edward Reynolds saying, yo, I still have doubts about this. The lead detective said Natasha Wright was cooperating with the authorities, but she didn't know where Jason had went. Yet she had assured them that Jason was, in fact, very real. 
And maybe her cooperating is what stopped her from having charges pressed against her. Yeah, I don't know either. That's so bizarre. Given the limited photos available, authorities enlisted NECMEC to provide an age-progressed photo of what Jason may have looked like at the time of his disappearance. And that's really sad that, I mean, I think everybody knows that age-progressed photos aren't exact renderings of what somebody looks like. I mean, you don't know. Things change. People dye their hair, they gain weight, they lose weight. Um, You know, things, you're not guaranteed to just stick to this. So it's just the best possible guess, you know, at what somebody would look like as they age. And so this is sad that here we have a 15-year-old that somebody should have a photo of to know what he looked like when he went missing. And yet there's not one. So for 10 years of his life, there's no photos. And they're having to guess what he looked like. It, it just plays on mind. And, and, and unfortunately, kind of like, he has a lot writing against him now because there's hardly any documentation of him. So how is anybody except her, except for the people that lived with him at the time going to even know? Uh, there's not going to be no dental records, yeah. no nothing, you know, and... You know, there's part of you that thinks maybe like, okay, maybe, maybe there wasn't a Jason, but there's a birth certificate. Yeah. Uh. Right. And it obviously the birth certificate didn't belong. If they knew enough to say that he was 15 years old, it clearly didn't belong to the 10, 12 or nine year old. Right. Yeah. But where is he? What happened to him? Did the neighbors see him? Did they count four children at the house at any time? Did the family count four children? If he wasn't, if Jason Sr. wasn't the father, who was? Did he stay with the biological father? Did, was it because if he was really autistic and nonverbal, was it just too much for them to do? So they like, did they adopt him? Wow. Somebody knows where this child is. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And you want to think that if that's the case. They got him to a loving home. I sure hope so. Especially if he was, you know, as challenged as it sounds like he may be. Jason Sims Sr. is adamant he has no idea. But the detectives believe he has some idea. And I tend to kind of agree because can you live in a household with somebody and not know? But also, how do you not know when the last time you saw your child was? Yeah, I think there's... I think there's a part, there has to be something more to that story. There's some, that, that, yeah. there's some big gaps. Yeah, in there's that some story. gaps for sure. Yeah. So Jason Sims Jr. is an African American male, and was described as being approximately five six and 125 pounds at the time of his disappearance. He's described as having a light complexion, but that is about the extent of the information available. His Hair color and eye color are listed as unknown in NamUs. But the little picture that they have of him when he was five years old or whatever age that is, he was really cute. Mm. He was such a precious little boy. Well, hopefully he made it. If you have any information regarding our cases today, please reach out to the following contacts. For Ramondas or Joseph's case, please contact Birmingham Police Department Special Victim Services at 205-297-8413. For Kiara's case, contact the Birmingham PD at 205-328-9311. For Waylon's case, please contact the Birmingham PD Homicide Division at 205-254-1764. And if you have any information related to Jason Sims Jr. or his disappearance, please contact the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office at 205-325-5700 or through their website, which we'll put in the episode details. Alternatively, for any of the cases we shared today, you can call Crime Stoppers at 205-254-7777 or submit a tip through their website, which will also be linked in the episode details. 
Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten.